Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride of MileHighSports.com. As you guys know, that is where you can find all of the Nuggets content that we produce at Mile High Sports. You just type in MileHighSports.com into your browser, click the Nuggets icon in the top right corner, and you will see it all right there ready for you. Um, I'm going to do another podcast today. We're going to do a player recap, as I was talking about before. We're, I'm kind of just incorporating the player recap podcast into just updates of what is happening around the league and how it pertains to the Denver Nuggets and how it could potentially involve them, whether it's speculation, whether it's actual insider information. But we're going to kind of play with it because there's a lot of things going on right now in the league. So we're going to talk about Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe. They did a, um, a you know a free agency special, Zach Lowe brilliantly called it the silly season show and essentially what it was was it was a part two to their original show that aired on ESPN where they talked about the rest of the Western Conference teams that were kind of involved in this arms race that has been going on ever since the Warriors were dethroned. So they took they talked about Michael Porter Jr., talked about Paul Millsap, talked about the Nuggets as a whole and how they view them, as well as a kind of a cool story about Nikola Jokic running into Tim Connolly after he got his extension at the All-Star Weekend. Uh, when I say his extension, I mean Tim Connolly's extension, of course. Um, additionally, some other things in the NBA have gotten interesting in the, in the past, um, I would say, few hours. I'm recording this podcast at 3.30 p.m. Mountain Time, and the Houston Rockets are trying to move off of Clint Capella, Eric Gordon, and P.J. Tucker, whether it's in one deal, two deals, or three deals with three separate teams. They don't care. They're just trying to move off of those players, and it sounds like all they're looking for to get back is a first-round pick to be able to use those first-round picks to go get Jimmy Butler in a sign-and-trade scenario. So I want to get in how the Nuggets could potentially fit into the P.J. Tucker situation in particular. The Nuggets don't have a need for Clint Capella. They don't have a need for Eric Gordon. And additionally, they can't fit either of those players into their treaded player exceptions that they have, which is what makes it so interesting because P.J. Tucker does. So I'll get into the mechanics of how a trade like that could work, the pros and cons from the Denver point of view and from P.J. Tucker's point of view. Um, Lastly, I will finish this up with a Monte Morris player recap part of this podcast as well. Monte obviously had a phenomenal season throughout the year, and I kind of just wanted to touch on a couple things that he did really well, and what I think he is going to be working on going forward, as well as give the final grade that I had for his season, as well as talk a little bit about the article that Brandon Ewing wrote for Mile High Sports and the player recap for Monte Morris about the things that he kind of outlined that he wanted to see from him as well. So, pretty stocked full podcast today. It's going to be a fun one, but before we get into all of that, I got to give some love to the Regulators Production Group. Without them, this podcast would sound extremely ordinary and boring. Not that it's not ordinary and boring enough with my monotone self-talking on it, but regardless, without them, this podcast does not sound the way that it does, so I definitely appreciate them. Follow the Regulators Production Group on Instagram. Their their handle is at Regulators Regime. They're great at what they do. Reach out to them for any of your audio production needs. And of course, this podcast is presented by Terrapin Care Station. They are the presenting sponsor of the show. They're the benefactor of the show. Without them, there wouldn't be a Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. So go to Terrapin Care Station for any of your cannabis needs. They are the ones who who power this Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. And so before I go any further, here's a quick word from Terrapin Care Station themselves. 
Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. So the first thing on the docket, let's just go in chronological order in terms of time, and that was Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe of ESPN talking about the Nuggets on their extended version of their free agency special, or the Silly Season show as Zach Lowe was calling it. So there were two things about the Nuggets that came up in particular, and that was Michael Porter Jr. and Paul Millsap. I want to start with Paul Millsap because it's a little bit more pressing. Michael Porter Jr. will be here. It is what it is. Paul Millsap has a $30 million player option this year or team option this year sorry Paul Millsap has a 30 million dollar team option this year and there's a lot of ins and outs as to how this could eventually work out Um, I'm sure the Nuggets have the thought in their head that they would like to extend Paul Millsap for more years and less per year value on that contract something like let's just you know hypothetically say three years 30 million dollars slightly above the mid-level exception but not anywhere near the 30 million dollars he is currently making um but again, we're not sure how that's going to happen. So what Zach Lowe brought up on the podcast or on the show was how it is realistic that the Denver Nuggets could just pick up the $30 million team option for the last year of Paul Millsap's contract. I think this makes sense for multiple things. And the, the two things that Zach Lowe brought up was, first of all, Denver needs Paul Millsap, and he is absolutely right about that. It is necessary for the Nuggets to keep Paul Millsap unless they find somehow a better defender and someone who fits the scheme better than they already have in Paul Millsap, which I just don't see happening. Additionally, it sounds like Paul Millsap is going to stay regardless. Tim Connolly and the Nuggets front office want him to stay, and Paul himself wants to stay as well. During his exit interview, he spoke about how Denver is the kind of situation in which he wants to win a title in he said like he blatantly said I could just go to Golden State and he joked about it but that's not how he wants to do it he said that he was overlooked he said that he was looked at as something that couldn't work in the NBA he was a tweener was he a three is he a four is he a five no one really knew but because of that he kind of took on this chip on his shoulder and the Nuggets kind of embody the chip that Paul Millsap has had on his shoulder So it seems like for him, the chance to win with this group of guys, with this organization and the way that they are perceived on the national level, which let's be honest, is much smaller than almost any other uh, franchise in the NBA, that means something to Paul. So it does seem like there is absolutely a... um, 
Like I would be very, very stunned if the Nuggets and Paul Millsap were not on, you know, were not together by the time that next year started. I would be very, very surprised. Of course, this is the NBA, and everything changes in ninety-second spurts. So who actually knows what could happen in you know five days when free agency kicks off? But Paul Millsap and the Nuggets, they feel like they need each other to accomplish what each of them are looking to do individually. So I would be extremely surprised if they weren't together, whether that means them picking up the option for $30 million, whether that means a restructured contract after opting out of the $30 million. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski, when it comes to that point, he said that the Nuggets can manage that number on the cap sheet. And I went in and I started playing with their cap sheets and just kind of looking at what what it would be like if the Nuggets picked up that option. And what you're looking at is, first of all, the Nuggets would obviously be over the cap. I believe they have $121 um, committed dollars for salary already, but that does put them below the tax. So that means the Nuggets would have their full biannual exception to use if they want, or they could have their biannual exception to use. That doesn't get bigger or smaller, but they would have their biannual exception to sign a player, which is right around $3.5 million, if I remember correctly, and they would have their full mid-level exception, which is right around $8.5 million, if I remember correctly. I am not a cap expert. I'm sorry if I'm off on those numbers by a little bit, but my computer cannot run Audacity and the internet at the same time, so I cannot go back and recheck it, but um, that that means that Denver can still add two players if they wanted to, despite being over the over the um, over the cap and being deep into it. Because they even if they picked up the option, they would still be below the luxury tax. Additionally, if they have that money on the books for this year, the thirty million dollars, they could still extend, you know, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, and Wancho Hernan Gomez and Tory Craig if they felt like it. Just because those are all bird right players, that wouldn't actually inhibit them from signing the guys that they already have on the team. So there's not really a scenario in which bringing Millsap on is going to drastically hurt this Nuggets team unless they're trying to use that cap space for an, a, a different player, whether Chris Middleton is interested in coming or Al Horford. Again, that is pure speculation, but that's the only scenario in which I feel like the Nuggets would be looking would be trying to avoid having the $30 million hit on the cap. So I do think that the Nuggets would be okay with that, and I don't think it would hurt them that much right now. Additionally, that would then be doing right by Millsap. Like, yes, the team option was part of the of the contract. Millsap knew that there's a there was a potential of that option not being picked up. Them not picking up that option would not necessarily be a slap in the face to Millsap, but if they did pick it up, the positive repercussions of them being like, you know what? We have the money. We desperately want to keep you around instead of haggling this year. Here's your $30 million. Let's run it back. Let's go do what we were doing and keep everybody happy in-house. There, that, There's something admirable about that for the Nuggets. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of their decision-making process. And when you start looking down the line, the flexibility they would have in 2020 when free agency arrived, if the Nuggets did pick up Paul Millsap's option, would be plentiful. So let's live in the world where the Nuggets pick up the team option and Paul Millsap is getting paid $30 million next year to be on the Denver Nuggets roster. So once next season ended, the Nuggets would have just under $70 million on the books, and that does not include cap holds. So I know that it's confusing. We start getting to cap holds, things like that. But in terms of players that are undoubtedly going to be contractually obligated to play for the Denver Nuggets uh, in 2020, they would have $70 million on the books. That would leave about $39 million in cap space 
left for the Nuggets to use using the $109 million projected cap number that is for this year. Odds are that number climbs up to $111 million, whatever it ends up being. It's going to change based on how much money teams make in the NBA. So they'll have between $39 and $42 million in cap space if it works out this way. So with that being said, with that $39 million in cap space, the Nuggets would have a lot of different questions that they would then need to answer. First and foremost, Paul Millsap and Mason Plumlee would then be unrestricted free agents. So you'll have to see where the team is at at that point. How much money do they have to give to these guys? How much money do they want to spend on players that aren't currently in Denver? There's a lot of different things that have to play with, but Paul Millsap and Mason Plumlee would be their only two unrestricted free agents. Additionally, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and Tory Craig, who has not been included in this conversation very often, are all going to be restricted free agents. That's four big-time players. Well, three players who are legitimately in the rotation, and then Wancho Hernan Gomez, who has had his fair share of, you know, issues to get back on the court that have been kind of out of his control to a degree. So... That's a lot of decisions to make. I mean, $39 million to $42 million in cash space is a big number, but if you want to bring back Paul Millsap on a smaller deal, let's say $10 million a year, uh, $10 million a year that number goes down to $29 million. Suddenly, you don't have enough money to open up to actually have a max contract slot if you're going to give him that money. Then, let's just say you signed a guy to, to a max contract slot. I don't care who, insert name here. You then have to either extend or renounce the cap holds and let them go for Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and Torrey Craig. Jamal Murray is going to want a lot of money. Malik Beasley has earned a lot of money. Torrey Craig has earned a good chunk of money. The Nuggets can pay all of them over the cap because they have their bird rights, but you're talking about Josh Kroenke taking one hell of a, of a luxury tax bill to be able to keep all those players together if they want to, and that's if they let Mason Plumley walk as well. So, to kind of spell this out, yes, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and Torrey Craig would all be restricted free agents. That means the Nuggets would only have seven guaranteed contracts left on their roster. That would be Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris, Jared Vanderbilt, and Bol Bol if they sign a contract, which all signs point to there being no reason that the Nuggets don't sign Bol Bol to some kind of contract. So, that's it's an interesting situation. The point being is that even if the Nuggets picked up that option... It would not you know, str- hold them back from accomplishing anything that they want to accomplish down the line so long as those goals do not lead to them signing a big free agent this offseason. So the Nuggets can still expend, extend all of their restricted free agents, whether it's Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, or Torrey Craig. They can still bring back Paul Millsap on a restructured deal later on. Whatever they want to do, they can still do it if they have Paul Millsap's $30 million on the books this year. So I would not be surprised if that ends up being part of the equation once we get to free agency where the Nuggets are like, you know what? We don't have anyone to spend this on. Let's just give it to Paul because he's been so instrumental in the growth that we have had and the success that we have had. All right, let's move on to Michael Porter Jr., which is to a lot of fans the more exciting thing to talk about right now. So Adrian Wojnarowski, when this went again on their silly season special show that they did uh, with Zach Lowe, the first thing Woj said when the Nuggets came up was, all of the reasons that people loved him, meaning Michael Porter Jr. coming into college, they have seen that in Denver. Then Woj says he could be the one that takes this program to a championship level. 
those are a lot of big, 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 big things to be putting out there into the world, which I was very surprised about. And the Nuggets are a pretty damn tight-lipped organization. They don't like unnecessarily raising the pressure or expectations surrounding their team. They like the things to develop organically. And really, none of this has felt organic at this point. Um, Zach Lowe followed up with the fact that Denver Nut that at the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs had to start Torrey Craig over Will Barton, first of all, because Will Barton couldn't hit a shot at all. He was just slumping at a, the worst possible time, but also because the Nuggets needed, and again, I quote, a little bit more size. And then Lowe proceeded to say how having that how having exactly that, a little more size and a little bit more shooting in a younger player who has way higher upside than Torrey Craig is, again, I quote, incredibly exciting. Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski have seen everything. Zach Lowe is a crime reporter. They are not the kind of people who put extra emphasis onto these kinds of things without a good reason to do so. So to hear all these things over and over again from big-time national reporters that have their actual pulse on the Nuggets, because Adrian Wojnarowski has his pulse on the Nuggets, you'll notice that every time there's a big story or a big... Um, whether it's about Tim Connolly or the Nuggets as a whole, the Nuggets go through Adrian Wojnarowski almost every single time. There's very few journalists who are as plugged into the Nuggets organization as Adrian Wojnarowski is. So to hear all these things from Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski, it kind of makes you take a step back and be like, is this... Is this real? Is there really an opportunity for Michael Porter Jr. to be this good coming into this season? And I'm trying to temper my own expectations, but even when I reach out to people in the Nuggets organization, there is so much talk about how good Michael Porter Jr. has been. And again, this is, the Nuggets are not the kind of team to place unnecessary pressure on themselves or on their players, but... They just keep talking about him, whether it's the players during exit interviews bringing him up unprompted, whether it's the players on Instagram talking about all the time, whether it's me talking to people in the Nuggets organization who are around the team on a day-to-day -day basis and see these see Michael Porter Jr. in the gym. It's just crazy how high everybody currently is on Michael Porter Jr. considering the fact that, one, he hasn't played basketball in two years, two, he has had two back surgeries, a hip issue, and drop foot. And three, the Nuggets never put this kind of pressure on their players. So there has to be some inkling of truth here. I mean, you would think normally, let's just take the Nuggets out of this equation and where they currently are as a team. When you hear about an NBA organization trying to build up how good their player is, who hasn't played in two years and had major injury concerns coming out of the draft, it usually says, hmm, they're trying to build the value so they can use so-and-so in a trade or whatever it is. They're trying to inflate the value of an asset that they currently have to get a better return in a trade or to make someone more valuable to another team. I'm having a hard time seeing how that could be the case with this Nuggets team. I don't see any situation in which the Nuggets feel like, yeah, we should move off Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, we should get rid of him. There's like, Even as a trade sweetener and a big-time deal, the upside of Michael Porter Jr. is arguably more valuable than the sweetener he adds to a trade deal. So I don't think this is them trying to raise his value just to move him in a bigger trade package. I don't have the answer. I don't know how good he he's actually going to be. I, I just don't know. I haven't watched Michael Porter Jr. play basketball. I only get information from people who do secondhand. So 
all I can say is I just can't wait to see him in summer league. I just can't wait to see him just overamped, taking every shot as soon as he gets the ball in his hands and seeing just how he moves, how he plays basketball, the way he approaches the game, his mental fortitude, the way that he handles the physicality of NBA level athletes and players. I just, there's so much to that that I can't wait to see what it is because for right now, he, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is still just an, an, an enigma. We don't know. We know that he is 6'11". We know he is a beautiful jump shot and that's it. We don't know how anything else is going to pan out. And I just, I just want to finally see it. Um, the last little quick thing, and I don't want to go into this long at all, but there was a funny story that Adrian Wojnarowski told about uh, Nikola Jokic and Tim Connolly, and it was over the All-Star weekend break, uh, obviously from this past season, when Tim Connolly got his contract extension from the Denver Nuggets. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, he was either at a table with Tim Connolly or had seen Tim Connolly at a table. I'm pretty sure he said he was with them, but Nikola Jokic apparently saw Tim Connolly in the restaurant, went into the restaurant, gave him a big hug and then congratulated him for his extension and then thanked him for being for bringing him to Denver. And it's just so funny because most of the time you could easily as a player of Nikola Jokic's ilk be like, "You're welcome that I'm so good that I make you look so much better than you were." Tim Connolly is the first one to say that the Nuggets got lucky with Nikola Jokic. But instead of that, Nikola Jokic is saying, "Thank you for giving me a chance. Thank you for being able to allow me the opportunity to grow in this way." And the point for why it came up was because they were trying to display, look at how good this relationship is that Tim Connolly has with his guys. Look at how good the relationship is and in terms of Nikola Jokic, their star player, and how he views the organization. There's so many good things that come from that that I wanted to throw that into, throw that into this podcast as well because I think it's a big deal. The last update from around the league is something that the Nuggets haven't actually even been mentioned in. This has nothing to necessarily do in terms of reporting about the Nuggets being involved with this situation, but it's something that jumped out to me as an interesting situation for the Nuggets to potentially look into. So, if you haven't heard by now, which I would be blown away and you're living under a rock if not, but the Houston Rockets are trying to find a way to develop a sign-and-trade situation to acquire Jimmy Butler from the Philadelphia 76ers. In order to facilitate that type of a deal, they have to be able to clear enough cap space to take him in. That means trading Clint Capella. That means trading Eric Gordon. And also, according to the reports that have been coming out, that also means trading P.J. Tucker. So, let's kind of just flesh this out for a second and how the Nuggets fit into this. First and foremost, the Nuggets have three traded player exceptions. One for 13.1 million, one for 12.8, and I believe one for 8.5. Uh, they, or no, it's, it's like eight, it's actually just 8 million flat. It comes from the Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, and, or sorry, Kenneth Fareed, Wilson Chandler, and Darrell Arthur trades in which they cleared cap space last summer. Whenever you trade a player out and do not take back the salary that you sent out, you develop what is called a traded player exception, and you can actually trade for a player, and if they fit into that exception, they will not count against the cap. So the Nuggets, who do not have cap space, would be able to trade for P.J. Tucker without sending out any salary of their own. So... Now that that has been fleshed out, PJ T- or the Houston Rockets have said that they are looking for a first-round pick for all three of each players, and they don't mind if it's one team, two teams, or three separate team trades to move these players. The Nuggets have all of their first-round picks moving forward. 
They have two different traded player exceptions that fit P.J. Tucker into it. And on top of that, P.J. Tucker does have one more year after next year on his deal, but it's only guaranteed for $2.6 million. So what this means is the Nuggets can acquire P.J. Tucker with only sending out one first-round pick without it counting against the cap and being able to bring him in. And additionally, it will not hurt their cap flexibility going forward, and they would still be able to pick up the Paul Millsap option if they wanted to, or restructure his deal, or extend Jamal Murray or whatever the hell they wanted to do. Um, so that's that's a lot of interesting ideas. It makes it very easy for the Nuggets to be able to get involved in that kind of a discussion. So what are the pros for the Nuggets to get him? It would only take one future first, which again, for a Nuggets team that seems to be trending in a direction in which they'll be good for at least the next three, four years, that won't hurt them terribly. He fits the traded player exception. He's the perfect Michael Malone player. I don't know of anybody that is acquirable that Michael Malone would adore as much as P.J. Tucker and all of his hard assery because Michael Malone loves loves those types of players. Um, he defends four positions and hits three-pointers, has tons of playoff experiences, knows how to fit within a team construct in which he is not a focal point on the offense or the defense. So there's a lot of reasons why it does make sense, but it's easy to get excited when you hear all of those positives and how it fits and why it would work. But when you look into the cons of it, this starts to become much more complex than you would think. So first of all, I do not see a scenario in which the Nuggets let go of Paul Millsap to bring in P.J. Tucker. Not only does that hurt their relationship with Paul Millsap, but it makes the rest of the league look at the Nuggets and be like, you're going to bring a guy in, he's going to completely revolutionize your defense, you're going to value him so much, he's the best free agent acquisition in your franchise history, and you're just going to trade him for a player who is actually worse than him in P.J. Tucker just to save money? That looks very bad. So then you ask, will P.J. Tucker want to take a bench role? And in my opinion, I find it very hard to imagine P.J. Tucker leaving the Houston Rockets to take a bench role elsewhere. Again, maybe he can, I don't know him personally, so that's a very random thing to bring up to the table, but... That's a hard thing for me to get around as well. One will have to be benched, and one would have to start. Additionally, how many teams play four bigs in their rotation who are good? It just doesn't really exist. That's a very, very rare thing in the NBA to see. So that also means that P.J. Tucker's minutes would go down, Paul Millsap's minutes would go down, and Mason Plumlee's minutes would go down. So then the natural next question from someone would be, well, why don't you just trade Mason Plumley? Well, do you really want to start either PJ Tucker or I'm sorry, not start. Do you want to play PJ Tucker or Paul Millsap as a backup center all year? That would make me nervous. Neither of them are, you know, the most youth, the most youthful people in the world. And they're not gigantic. You know, you have a six foot eight Paul Millsap who's aging and a six foot six PJ Tucker who's aging. I wouldn't feel comfortable with either of them playing the bulk of the backup center minutes. So where does this fit? How in terms of roster construction, not in terms of what the Nuggets need on paper, but in terms of roster construction, where the hell does P.J. Tucker fit on this team? Additionally, someone somehow, some way would be mad by the end of this, whether it's Paul Millsap's role going down, whether it's P.J. Tucker's role going down, whether it's Millsap getting traded, whether it's Plumlee getting traded. There's, there is going to be a lose portion of this scenario. It is not just a win-win for the Nuggets just to go get them because there are going to be other things that are going to have to be dealt with afterwards. So there is a lot that goes on with this, but the fact remains the Nuggets absolutely have the situation and the means to make a play at P.J. Tucker if they feel like they want to. All right. 
last thing on this podcast, and it is going to be the season recap for Monte Morris, who, in my opinion, had one of the most surprising seasons in the NBA. He was that good for the Nuggets, that instrumental, and he only played, what, 24 minutes the season before? So the fact is, for me, Monte Morris may have been the fourth most important player on this Nuggets team. I mean, Gary Harris and Will Barton being in and out of the lineup all year. Paul Millsap is more important, but in terms of steady production and a reliability, Monte Morris was the guy for the Nuggets. I would probably put Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap, and then Monte Morris for how important these players were throughout the season. So, to just start with the statistical outlook of what he was able to produce in the regular season and the postseason. So in the regular season, he averaged 10.4 points, 2.4 rebounds, 3.6 assists, just under a steal per game, and only 0.6 turnovers per game. To put that into perspective, he had 297 assists against just 52 turnovers, which is absolutely incredible. He shot 49.3% from the field, 41.4% from three, and 80.2% from the free throw line. So overall, in the regular season, Monte Morris was fantastic. I mean, he led the Nuggets in terms of three-point percentage. The only player who was higher than him was Thomas Welsh, who didn't play nearly enough minutes to qualify. Um, He was hyper-efficient at the rim, got to his mid-range shots when he needed to, had one of the best assist-to-turnover ratios in the league, and still managed to almost grab a steal per game despite only playing around 20 minutes. So overall, very, very hyper-efficient and productive season based on the minutes that he was playing. I thought Monte Morris was fantastic, which is why he got some six-man-of-the-year votes. Um... In the postseason, things got a little bit rougher for him. He kind of hit that proverbial rookie wall in the postseason, only averaged 5.4 points and 1.4 rebounds per game, still 2.6 assists against just 0.4 turnovers, and also had just under a half a steal per game. The issue was that he shot 38.4% from the field, was 0 of 13 on threes in the postseason, and only hit just under 70% of his free throws. So the efficiency went away, the scoring went away, and the outside perimeter shooting went away also less minutes less rhythm and Mason Plumlee was an unmitigated disaster in the in the postseason so Monte Morris wasn't exactly working with a whole lot of weapons around him in the postseason still though Monte Morris, the amount that he grew as a player this year was wild to me and grow is a very um abstract and lazy, honestly, term for this. Monte Morris had a lot of these skills that he couldn't show in college. He may have already had them last year. Um, He did develop them and refine them, he has said, throughout the G League and things like that, but mostly a lot of these issues, or a lot of these um, the positives of his game were already there. I mean, he, like I said earlier, he led the Nuggets in three-point shooting percentage this season. He worked all year by putting a a gum wrapper between his thumb and his pointer finger on his guide hand to keep his thumb off the ball to be able to get a better release on it and you saw that play out very well the other big thing in my opinion that he um that he was strong in was as a defender this was the most um unnoticed part of his game in my opinion monte morris was never just exploited outright defensively and for a guy who is smaller in stature as a guard that's really impressive he was never a liability defensively i felt not even felt that way in the playoffs so the fact that he was able to play strong defense and get up into guys and not get moved and had the dedication on the end of the floor that was a big development in his game to trust that putting him out there does not mean that you have a defensive liability 
Trust is another word. The trust that Monte Morris developed with his teammates. The trust that Monte Morris had earned with the coaching staff. The trust that he had earned with the starting group and with the bench unit, the way that he was able to mesh those two together throughout the rotation. The trust that Monte Morris developed in terms of his trust in his guys and their trust in him and a whole team construct kind of setting was huge. Again, Monte Morris played 20-something minutes as a rookie last year. For someone in essentially their very first first NBA season to be able to develop that level of trust was genuinely blowing my mind. I mean, players aren't able to do that. It takes an innate level of just a gift as a leader to be able to develop that kind of trust. And that is the other thing that I thought that Monte Morris developed and was just as a leader. Monte told the media uh, earlier this year that he tries to learn all of his teammates off the court to better know them on the court as basketball players and people. It helps him grow as a leader. It helps him grow as a point guard and you saw that manifest all the way throughout the season it didn't matter if it was Thomas Welsh or if it was Nikola Jokic or if it was Trey Lyles or if it was Jamal Murray somehow there was always a chemistry between Monte Morris and his teammates and he's already started that chemistry with Bull Bull just 36 hours after Bull Bull had landed in Denver for his very first time with as a Denver Nugget Monte Morris was already hanging out with him was in the gym with him was getting shots up was in the training room Monte Morris as a leader is so much more important to this Denver Nuggets team than he has been given credit for. And I think we're going to see that manifest a lot more as the season progresses this coming year. Um, so we'll, I'll let that kind of show itself as the season goes along. I don't want to draw this out too much because with Monte Morris, I mean, a lot of his season recap was just that dude was a hell of a player and I couldn't find much bad with his game. Um, the other thing he did very, very good, I thought, in this uh, during the season, another low-key underrated portion, something that Adam Mata, as of Denver Stiffs, pointed out religiously, was how good he was in late moments, whether it was the end of a shot clock, whether it was the end of a quarter, whether it was the end of a game. He's just so poised and so under control that he was able to just produce no matter what the situation was around him. I, I remember it was, I think it was like February. Adam ended up look Adam Adams again in Denver stiffs. He looked up this stat on basketball reference that I don't even know how to find, but apparently Monte Morris led the league in buckets made in the last 30 seconds of the first and third quarter. I know that seems extremely niche and random and noisy, but think about it. He is the point guard of the bench unit and the bench unit almost always closes the first and third quarters. That, that means that Monte was running the offense in late clock situations to perfection and it got so there was so much trust being given to him that when Jamal Murray didn't play for six or seven games in the in the middle of the season Monte Morris had the ball in his hands to end close games with the game on the line he ended up making the assist to have a game winner against Dallas I believe to Nikola Jokic he, the trust that the team showed in him whether it was his teammates or the front office or the coaching staff it was incredible to see and for Monte to have that much trust was really really cool um, only one thing I want to say about ways that Monte Morris can improve, and that is simply to get stronger to be able to handle the rigors of an 82-game season. And not only that, they had 14 playoff games. The Nuggets played 96 games this year. Monte Morris flat out said that that is three college basketball seasons, and he's not wrong. 
So Monte Morris said during his exit interviews that he wants to get stronger in his legs and his core so that his body is able to hold up over an 82-plus game season, whether it's playoffs or not. So that's really the only way that I want to see Monte grow. Like He's going to continue to progress and refine his game, but I don't think there's any drastic step forwards that he needs to make. Yeah, it'd be nice for him to get better shooting out the dribble from three-point range. Yeah, his finishing could get a little bit more creative, but those things are so minor. They're not going to negatively impact him in massive ways. Those are just ways, again, he can refine his game. So in terms of an overall grade, I have to give him an A. The only reason it's not an A+, plus was because he was 0 of 13 on threes in the playoffs. If he just hit 30% of his threes in the playoffs, he'd be getting an A+, plus from me, because he had never been on that stage before. Monte Morris was flat-out spectacular this year, and I cannot wait to see what he does next year, because he is unquestionably, right now, with the sample size that we have, one of the best backup point guards in the entire National Basketball Association. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening through. The podcasts have been long recently. I know it's the summer and it's weird that this is now and they're getting long, but there's so many interesting ha- things happening around the league in one of the most interesting time periods in NBA history in terms of free agency. So there's going to be a lot more conversations about what's going on around the league. Free agency is coming up in literally five days to the almost to the hour. So stick with Mile High Sports. It's going to be so much fun content coming out. We're going to have more and more player recaps. I'm going to have a film study on both. Bowl that's going to drop on Thursday at some point, whether it's in the morning or a little bit later in the day. I'll have another podcast coming out tomorrow as well. So stick with it. Keep it locked to Mile High Sports, and we will talk to you later.